And it's all the road is rocky. I'm ready to try to make smile to break sight to the blind man. It's down to the left child. We will survive in this country wilderness. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogging is specialist, predatory survivalist. Spinning heaven, fire from his lips. Burn slave driver. to time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network new media for the new millennia this is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because those Air Force 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people We'll turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com which is the homepage and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. We're streaming at abibitumi.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn Radio is a free app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening Radio program with a live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, it's time for an awakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening. Also, has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, you could type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening media is also there. Always follow the latest podcast of the various programs on time for an awakening media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that time for an awakening marketplace in our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening, the Sunday, uh, November 26th edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest scheduled to join us this evening in conversation, activist, author, and former Congresswoman Dr. Cynthia McKinney is scheduled to join us this evening in conversation. 
and we're going to be talking about a myriad of things with Dr. McKinney. So it ought to be an interesting discussion, and you can always get involved in that discussion by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human 
geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 7-12 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Ellie. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. You know, the chill is coming and, you know, what that means. But I'm looking forward to... Um, we haven't spoke with her for a while on, on online, but um, Dr. McKinney, but I, I think in this moment, you know, you heard what's happening in Sierra Leone, you know, um, being able to have an exchange is, uh, around global politics that's been in different regions is I think it's um, will be helpful, at least helpful for me. And I hope for the time for awakening audience. Yeah, I didn't know. Uh... I talked with her on Wednesday, and uh, and she's supposed to join us, so uh, I'm kind of the ball's in her court, and I'll be waiting on her. Um, but while we do that, uh, we can uh, just kick around a couple of topics or some ideas. Uh, Richard, you sent me uh, um, a text earlier today uh, about uh, Sierra Leone, and, and it, you know, it's, it's good to be having this conversation because... Uh, We'll have the, Dr. Uh, Jume uh, Faye join us next week to kind of uh, expand this uh, this discussion because uh, if you remember when uh, Brother Patrick and them was having the Black Power Conference, uh, he was uh, going to be on a tour of uh, five uh, nations over there on the continent. Uh, so he'll be able to give us a, kind of an assessment on what's going on Uh a brief uh, the time for awakening audience about what's really happening, not the filtered news that uh, we seem to get in the media, and sometimes no news at all, mm. uh, except when it's negative. But uh, uh, you you um, share with me an article today about the uh, 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 Sierra Leone uh, was Sierra Leone, yeah, Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, seem to have. Uh, um, they call it a coup. I mean, the article that I read, but we don't really, I haven't been able to see any real follow up of what that means. It might, you know, they, they made reference to some, um, um, people in military, um, attire, I must say, and they were going after a, um, armory. And the, um, you know, obviously the, the military was able to at least, um, I don't, I didn't see capture, but it must have been able to, um, control the situation as far as what comes out from Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone's, um, information, um, minister of information, um, for the state. And they put the, um, country on, 
um, with, the, with a curfew, all night curfew, um, in order to just, keep, you know, and telling them to keep calm. That's the, the, the thrust of it now. Um, you know, I've, it, in the article, it made reference <clears throat> that it was a little disappointment with the presidential election, I believe it was last year. And, um, you know, we know that in the West African, uh, in West Africa in general, there is a, uh, unrest going as far as, I'm going to call it colonial powers because it's interesting how, um, the, uh, Francophone countries, Niger, um, Burkina Faso, um, Mali, you know, fell out of favor. Um, I think in the African American dialogue, um, you know, as the Israeli, um, Israeli, the state of Israel and its, and its type of action against the Palestinian people have been going on. But, uh, I'm, I'm assuming what's happening in Sierra Leone, um, may be an extension, but it's still, um, too soon, um, to tell. Yeah. Well, um, I'm quite sure when we have, uh, Dr. Jumay join us. Uh, he'll be able to expand the discussion on these issues uh, because it's important that um, our people understand this uh, geopolitical politics because it, it it affects us one way or the other, and especially when you're talking about the the uh, mother continent and the the, the uh, moves that the West wants to make, uh, the moves that other people want to make, and. Sometimes we're standing here as just the pawns in the game. And I, when I'm saying we, I'm talking about uh, folks in the diaspora here in the United States, uh, possibly in the islands uh, in South America. Uh, the people directly affected is the ones on the continent. But, uh, you know, all of us are directly or indirectly affected. Go ahead, go ahead Richard, I didn't mean to cut you. No, no, no. I, I was just, you know, it just so happened. It's something that's been sticking in my head, as you say, you know, the, the effect of us, especially as we see, um, and I'm a frame in the, in this moment of re- reparation and, you know, um, looking forward for Dr. McKinney to, to come on, but in this framework of repair, something that, um, um, Dr. Gerald Horn had mentioned, um, as it relates to African Americans and foreign policy, um, you know, uh, when we, you know, see what's going on on the continent, the African countries and, um, in the relationship to, um, whether it be the Francophone countries and the possible, um, the, the question of the, you know, English speaking, um, African countries. And then, you know, what's going on in the Congo and the Sudan. Um, you know, for Dr. Horner raised that the question about, um, do African Americans have a, a foreign policy agenda. Um, uh, and, and I didn't, and I took him to say that when he was saying that, that he was saying African Americans as a political, um, group within the American body politics. And the reason why it comes up because I just seen that they're in a Carnegie endowment for international affairs. They, um, did a survey and it, and it's interesting, the title, and this was, um, August um, to that in, in this year, black Black Americans don't vote on foreign policy, but they are paying attention. Um, I thought that was um, interesting, and and just this paragraph out of that, the survey results results show that while domestic issues such as jobs and health care 
were of paramount importance to African-Americans, most respondents also believe that foreign policy matters a great deal, including for voting decisions. This apparent contradiction was a, this apparent contradiction may be ba- um, best explained as indicating that African Americans, especially educated and higher income individuals, understand the link between foreign policy and issues they care about, and thus seek political candidates who reflect their priorities and demonstrate competence in both foreign and domestic policy. U.S. foreign policy leaders and lawmakers may want to be more explicit about how their initiatives, such as the billions of dollars in support sent to the Ukraine and the billions sent to Israel, that's not a part of the thing, will address African-American domestic concerns. Now, isn't that, I just found that interesting because... Well, wait a minute, as, Richard, where was, where was that article at? In the um, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, and, it, and it's titled, Black Americans Don't Vote on Foreign Policy, But They Are Paying Attention. And this was done by Christopher, Christopher Shell, and that's August of 2023. No, go ahead, uh, make, go ahead. Because I wanted to kind of ask you something in reference to that, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I, it was just because that that's basically, I hear, you know, the point that, you know, where um, Dr. Horn's saying, do we have a foreign policy? And then, you know, um, in this survey is saying we're just aware, but we're not voting for it. But it makes it in its opening with the results is that, you know, how much money is going to these foreign policy initiatives. That's on one side, because then we have the cultural question on the other side when we look at the continent. And and at the same time, saying that there is no money to deal with the issues that are specifically dealing with African-Americans. And we talk about whether we talk about farming, whether we talk about health. You you brought up um, on when, on the open forum, you know, a part of um, Biden's uh, lift every voice uh, agenda that was supposed to be directed. So it, it just it's just interesting, this disconnect. Um, and then when we hear the representatives, my final thought in this, we hear the representatives like uh, Hakeem Jeffries or Meeks. And, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if I should cringe because is this. Are they representing African-Americans um, foreign policy concern and how they're um, being so much in support of, you know, the way the nation state of the state of Israel is moving right now um, against the Palestinian people? Is that by principle how African-Americans foreign policy sentiment is? Um, I like to I'm calling into question if with nobody else with myself. Richard, now I don't know the, 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 uh, the author of that article, was he European or, or, or no, no African American. Well, you know, he, he might, and you know, he's a part of the media. So, um, I don't know how he's looking at this. You know, he, he, in that article, which you stated that he kind of broke it down into class Right. That a certain class of black people are not interested in foreign affairs. That educated did he say something about educated black people were Yeah, yeah. to, to um educate um 
especially especially educated and higher income individuals understand the link between foreign policy and issues that and issues they care about. So, so, so what is he trying to say that, that blacks that uh, are not of a certain income strata can't understand? See, I, you know, I, I don't like those type of comments by black mm-hmm. people. You know, because the, the reason that, in my assessment, the reason that the the average man on the street, so to speak, the, the John Q. Black public, uh, might not be focused in on foreign affairs, is because there's so many attacks going on in the black community in a ra- this racist society that we live in. Sometimes it's hard for our people to focus, man. And it leads to other health issues, but I'm not even dealing with the health issues. Let's deal with the... the Education, uh, uh, the, the, the constant racism, you, you, trying to get your children educated properly, uh, 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 finding a job that will pay a living wage where you can take care of your family properly, uh, going into business is very difficult. I mean, almost every strata of life, you're running into roadblocks, and you face all types of obstacles, Richard, that other people don't deal with. So for him to come up with the assessment that black people don't discuss foreign policy because they don't make enough money, that's basically what he's saying, or don't have the intelligence to do it. I, I don't agree with that at all. Well, in, in another paragraph, and, it, and it's something, you know, Elliot, though I understand, I'm, I'm trying to resolve. He says concerns, another part of this, concerns for most black Americans. Carnegie survey first sought to understand how important international affairs are to African-American voters today. The economy and jobs, racism, racial discrimination, and health care ranked as the three most important issues that respondents reported considering when they vote, which goes to the point that you're raising, right? Um, these, the, the economy, you know, the effect of, you know, the, the, you know, as far as the, we see the, not only interest rates um, going up, but inflation going up, therefore the cost of food. Um, we see that always in relationship to jobs, um, you know, especially amongst uh, young, um, even though they say that the, the, the economy is moving at full employment, but as it relates to black, black, young black people, um, that, that full employment doesn't really uh, as much include them. Um, race, racism and racial discrimination. We constantly see, um, conditions about that in healthcare. So we, you know, um, it, it reinforces the survey reinforces these are the primary concerns, regardless of your, the point that you're making social economic status. It goes on to say 29% reported the economy and jobs as their top issue, followed by 21% reporting racism, Racial discrimination and 17% um, reporting health care as most important. I see Dr. McKinney uh, uh, came on. Uh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad on one hand, and it does help us set the framework um, for the discussion we're going to have um, this evening. <laughs> I see it. Dr. McKinney, are you with us? Let's see. Uh, yes, I am, if you can hear me. Oh, I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, great. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no problem. Uh, how, you do- how you doing? Okay. I'm doing okay. <laughs> okay. Listen, um, 
you know we want to talk about a myriad of subjects with you because you haven't been on uh, in a while since you've been overseas teaching. Yes. But, but listen, before, before we do, because I want to kind of break this down into categories. I first want to talk about what's going on now uh, over in Gaza. Then I want okay. to kind of transition to the continent and the, the geopolitical situation there and how it affects our people here. And then lastly, I want to deal with black politics here in this country specifically. But let's go to Gaza. And before I get your opinions on what's happening uh, there now, let's go back 14 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, you can take this back to 1948, but I want to take it back to 14 or 15 years ago when you and a few other activists went to Gaza uh, by boat, leaving Cyprus, and the boat was... I'm sorry, I don't know who who that was. And the the boat was commandeered by Israeli authorities. Mm -hmm. You were arrested and thrown into an Israeli prison. Uh, Talk about it from your perspective of seeing... You, you being directly affected uh, by what ha- what is happening there with the people, seeing things with your own eyes, and giving our people a perspective on what's really going on. The reason I'm saying this is because a lot of our people, they don't know what's going on there. They hear filtered news from the media, and then you get some of our people, like, for example, uh, 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 Floyd Mayweather, LeBron James, young blacks, that make statements about we stand with Israel. And then you get other blacks that are lawmakers saying the same things. Now we'll talk about them later on. But when you talking about our people that really don't know what's going on, but just parroting what they hear in the media, talk about it from your perspective of somebody that, that was there that were arrested by the Israeli authorities and then thrown into prison. Just give us a little perspective before we kind of talk about what's happening now. Okay, well, um, as you can imagine, it's a very complex situation, um, and it cannot be described in sort of bumper sticker speak. Okay. Um, But I have been back in the United States for um, about, let me see, when did I write here? Uh, About uh, 48 hours now. And I put out on X, formerly Twitter, that I can't breathe. I can't breathe here in the United States because what I am exposed to in terms of groupthink, I guess, a forced kind of groupthink is um, one that does not encourage independent thinking, doesn't encourage critical analysis, doesn't even encourage one to understand one's own predicament currently. And so to try and figure out how this all started or why uh, my situation is the way it is, is just darn difficult. So instead of 
sort of talking about what's going on now. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, I wrote a paper recently about the situation in Gaza. And basically, my thesis was, how can U.S. policy be any different today if you have the children and the grandchildren of the people who did the original ethnic cleansing back in 1947 prior to the United Nations creation of the State of Israel? Now, as the policymakers for the United States. So in order to understand what's happening now, you have no choice but to go back and look at those who created the state of Israel or space for the state of Israel by ethnically cleansing or committing genocide against the Palestinians. That policy of genocide has continued from then up until now. And um, the people who have orchestrated all of this have an idea about the rest of us that we need to take, that forces us to take, mm, how can I say, into consideration what's happening in Gaza now because you could think of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Yuval Noah Harari. You could look at them and what they say the future for humanity is, and you could say that those 15-minute cities, that's Gaza. And that's the future that they envision for the rest of us. So if you don't understand that we all are Palestinians and the very same people who committed the ethnic cleansing back in 1947 prior to the creation of the United Nations Resolution, their children and their grandchildren are now U.S. policymakers and they are making U.S. policy for Palestine and Israel. You won't understand what's going on and you can't understand what might happen, will happen if people don't fight back to the rest of us, including right here in the United States. So there's a continuum, and we have to understand that this is a continuum. And um, the police officers that come and that are so quick to beat us up and kill us, well, many of them have been trained in uh, Israel. And so the relationship between the the United States and every aspect of U.S. governance basically has been infiltrated by the children and the grandchildren of those who created the state of Israel. Hmm. Uh, Dr. McKinney, before I pass it over to Brother Richard, because he had some things that he wants to uh speak about in relation to what's going on um two things that i want to just get you to expand on because we talked about it about three weeks ago about uh, i read a report in al jazeera about the use again of this white phosphorus and i look back at the letter that you wrote from the jail when you were in 
imprisoned oh. in Israel. <laughs> and you talked then about uh, the use of white phosphorus then and some of the doctors, the Jordanian doctors and some other doctors, I forgot the other nationality or some of the other doctors, saying that they were unfamiliar with how to treat this because they didn't even know what was going on. I mean, you know, the use of those chemical yes. weapons then. And, 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 and I shared with the listening audience some time for an awakening. Uh, less than two or three weeks ago, uh, it was a report in Al Jazeera that it was used again this time, this white fire. Yes. That, That's right. Talk about That's that. That's right. And, and, and so um, Palestine has been a training ground for, US, for uh, Israeli soldiers and um, and they practice everything, including new weapons technology. They practice it on the Palestinians. Now, um, the white phosphorus, the helicopter gunships, you're talking about a people in, okay, so first of all, you've got Palestine, and Palestine can be divided into the two groups, or there are actually more than two groups, but two big groups. One group is when the only transparent free and fair elections were held, that group won the election and should be the governing authority for the so-called state, although we know that there is no state there's a it's spoken of euphemistically because with the greater Israel Israel project there is no room for a state because Israel claims all of that territory from uh, the Nile River all the way over to the Euphrates they claim all of that and uh, they with the help of the United States military and US tax dollars, have been pursuing that. And that's part of the reason why you got the complete destruction of Libya, because in order for the Greater Israel Project to actually transpire and uh, Israel to have sovereignty over all of that land, all of that territory, you've got to destroy the existing Arab states, which are uh, Muslim-majority states. You've got to destroy them. And that is why the United States military was used to destroy Iraq. The U.S. military to, was used to destroy Libya. The U.S. Uh, assistance is used to destroy uh, Hamas, which was the winner of the election for the, the right to represent the Palestinian people. Now, the problem, though, is that the United States and the West, because of Israel, of course, Israel's penetration of every aspect of governance inside the United States, the um, people of Palestine never had their government that they elected able to govern them. So they never experienced self-determination after that election. The election was declared free and fair, but when the moment that Hamas won, then Israeli troops swooped into um, 
the West Bank and Gaza and basically arrested all of the people who had just been elected to the Palestinian parliament. Those uh, people, many of them are, as far as I understand, are still in, in prison. And that's probably why in the current prisoner exchange, you've got Hamas uh, complaining that uh, the quality of the prisoners that are so-called being exchanged is not what they expected because some of them, I'm sure, wanted to get the, their legislators back, their activists back, who dared to put their name on the ballot and and uh, were elected in a free and fair, transparent election that was deemed to be so by international observers and using international standards, the same standards by which, of course, U.S. elections would not would not pass. So the um, that was one thing. And so then you've got people who are saying, well, Israel just created uh, Hamas so that um, they wouldn't have to deal with Yasser Arafat and the Palestinian Liberation Army at the time, which was the military wing of the PLO, which Mm -hmm. is Palestinian Liberation Organization. And so it is correct that Israel uh, thought, under Bibi Netanyahu, thought that they could control the Palestinians by creating a opposition uh, to the current, the, you know, the then at that time most popular, most formidable Palestinian formation. And today, what uh, it's not really Biden because everyone knows that he doesn't have the sense enough to uh, hold a conversation about anything substantive. But you've got these Israel First people, like I said, the children and the grandchildren of the Irgun and other terrorist organizations that basically terrorize the Palestinians out of their territory, out of their land, out of their homes. You've got their children and their grandchildren, like Antony Blinken, making U.S. policy. And so... Antony Blinken is the one that you could say is actually calling the shots and a whole host of other Israel firsters that are calling the shot for the United States government as it relates to Israel and Palestine policy. So the situation is totally out of whack. And for those of us who are not the children and grandchildren of the original terrorists that um, helped to create the state of Israel or make space for the state of Israel before the um, United Nations enactment. Well, um, the rest of us, when I decided to run for the U.S. Congress, had to sign a pledge of loyalty to Israel. So when you get a situation where you've got the children and the grandchildren of the original uh, sort of uh, ethnic cleansers, terrorists, and they are able to seize state power, something that black people have not been able to do, something that African-Americans have not been able to do is to seize state power. And that's because there are gatekeepers 
that um, make you, for example, sign this little document uh, that uh, is produced by APAC, or nowadays, instead of signing, what they make you do is write a paragraph, and you write this paragraph, and you look at any candidate. So what I did on the air in one um, one radio show was I said, okay, let's take randomly, let's pick two candidates for Congress um, for one congressional seat. So I, I don't even remember which, which uh, state I went to, but just randomly selected two candidates, one on the Republican side, one on the Democrat side. This is, of course, after the primary. And, um, and, uh, went to their websites. And what was it? it? They both had the same language on their website. So now, no matter who wins, whether it's a Democrat or the Republican, they, it doesn't matter to the Israel First community that is a, like a political hammer, hammering everyone into place on the political U.S. political chessboard. So uh, it doesn't matter who wins because they all have written this paragraph of, you know, uh, we support Israel. Um, um, uh, there's no daylight between U.S. policy and Israeli policy, you know, whatever the euphemism of, of the period is, but they've all written it. They've all sworn to it because that's how they got elected. And the ability of people like me who are totally independent of this, I refused to sign the pledge, and that was when the war against me began. It didn't begin... Um, it began it began the day i refused to sign the pledge and it, it existed it, it existed i existed on capitol hill in a state of trench warfare hand to hand combat for the entire 12 years nobody knew what i was going through but it was because i had refused to sign my soul away and then what you have or you have these so-called black, you know, they look black on the outside anyway, people who are able to win elections under these circumstances. And then one of the first things they do is come in and call me names. Now, you know, this is what, 15 years later? And they're still, um, how can I say it, um, proving their manhood. And I'm thinking specifically of Jamal Bowman, who came in and didn't even know who I was, but he knew enough to actually criticize me and say, "Oh, she's crazy" or whatever, and uh, and that was that was what he was tasked to do as a new member of Congress is to make sure that no one looks my way or even thinks my way in uh, terms of um, the whole Israel Palestine situation. And so now, of course, uh, after years have passed, and you see that uh, there's a, a little bit of an uprising, and you see these people who have basically sold their souls to be inside the Congress, and they're now trying to pretend that they are uh, 
pro-Palestinian. It's it's not true. Not when they have taken uh, pro-Israel money. And that goes now, not just for our members of the U.S. Congress, our federal government, unfortunately. It now extends to state, state and city and government yes. as well. State and local. So that you could have a situation like in Texas, if a hurricane comes through Texas, then what have they done in in the Texas legislature? They've signed the law that says that you can't criticize Israel in order to get your FEMA money. Can you imagine you're suffering from a hurricane that came through and wiped you out in the uh, Caribbean and uh, hit you in Texas, and in order to receive assistance from FEMA, you've got, or uh, that would be TEMA, the Texas Emergency Management Authority, Um, you've got to sign a document saying that you're not going to criticize Israel in Texas. But it's not just Texas. It's about 20, 25 or 27 states. Same situation prevailed in my home state of Georgia where I just arrived. Same situation where you could not support BDS, which is uh, boycott, divestment, and sanctions against Israel for any of the war crimes that it has committed. You couldn't support that. You couldn't speak out against uh, U.S.-Israeli policy and at the same time receive a paycheck from the state of Georgia. Now, look at this. And so people are talking about cancel culture and being censored and all of that sort of thing. Well, this is the original cancel culture. And, um, but you, you, you being made to think that cancel culture really originated someplace else, but no, it's originated notwithstanding the first amendment to the U S constitution, anything that is said that the pro-Israel crowd that's embedded inside U.S. organizations, uh, because we saw with the release of information <clears throat> about the the silencing of Dr. Shiva and uh, uh, his campaign for, I think he was running for the U.S. Senate from Massachusetts, what we saw was that he was silenced. His campaign was silenced because he had a lot of support. And this was somebody that was independent who had not necessarily signed the pledge, the APAC pledge to Israel. And so, therefore, he was not deemed to be worthy of being a U.S. senator. So now they can control who becomes a U.S. senator, who becomes a U.S. representative, who becomes the assistant to the U.S. president, who becomes the U.S. president. They can control all of that. Who becomes the U.S. ambassador to Japan, for example. I think that's uh, Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel was the one in in my time period who uh, orchestrated the the propounding... um, uh, well, the way in which I was evicted from the um, 
from the Congress. Yes, I see uh, O.L. Griffin saying that fealty to APAC is non-negotiable. And that is why, uh, actually, I did a, uh, a video, and that video that I did is like 40, for, for about 45 minutes, and basically it's a compilation of all of the videos. I did not know that there was still some video out there of me and my uh efforts to get into Gaza in the first place because you know uh when they say it's um a um a, a massive refugee camp a massive open air prison uh Israel controls even though Israel lies to this day that's what i've heard so many lies just in the last um 48 hours Israel says, well, we don't have anything to do. We, 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 we withdrew from Gaza. Oh, and this is the other thought that I had in my mind that I was trying to get to. And that is that despite the fact that Hamas won the election, Hamas was not allowed to govern the Palestinian people. I have to say that because I can't say the, the territory because the, the territory is like non-existent. It's dwindling. Now, so today, uh, Bibi Netanyahu is still pointing to uh, Hamas and Israel and uh, uh, Iran, um, Hezbollah, because now Israel has been defeated militarily now the palestinians they have they have homemade rockets and what they are still firing is homemade rockets they are firing homemade rockets they're a little bit more sophisticated but they're still homemade rockets homemade uh ieds um uh these uh homemade uh devices uh but that's not the case with hezbollah Hezbollah and the Palestinians also have received some training. That is clear. Uh, Hamas has received some military training. The age-old effort for the, the, the members of your audience who are a part of the Muslim community, the age-old effort of the uh, Israelis has been to separate or the pro-Israelis who are inside the U.S. government, and they oftentimes are citizens of the of the Israeli uh, state, and they are still inside the U.S. government. For example, you've got one member of Congress who's literally wearing the Israeli uniform to Congress every day. Now, yes, it is correct that many of the dual citizens, all of the dual citizens, they have mandatory uh, military service in Israel. So they will go and they will uh, learn military tra- tactics or whatever uh, inside the IDF, which is, uh, we call it the IOF because it's not anywhere defensive at all. It's uh, an offensive force, the Israeli offensive forces. Um, but they don't serve in the U.S. military. They serve in Israel's military, but they don't serve the U.S. military. And in fact, another thing is we've got these dual citizens, they're citizens of Israel, and they're citizens of the United States that are serving in the U.S. Congress. They're serving in not just the U.S. Congress, in all aspects of the U.S. government. 
because the U.S. government is it consists of the executive branch, legislative branch, as well as the, the judicial branch. So all three branches of the U.S. government are populated with these Israeli citizens, and they are the ones who are responsible for either either making U.S. policy or interpreting U.S. policy toward uh, Palestine and Israel or <clears throat> implementing. And you can chose, choose to ignore that which you don't want to implement. <laughs> Dr. McKinney, before I pass it to Brother Richard, let me ask you one thing about something that you state here in your letter. Because you said it was a surprise to you, and it's, uh, it's definitely a surprise to me. But first I want to say this, because this to the time for awakening listening audience. We hear the reports uh Prisoners was released by Hamas. No, hostages were released by Hamas. Prisoners was released by Israel. Now, <laughs> we can, I mean, it, it, see, it, you know, see, I, I don't think some of that, I don't think a lot of that goes over our people's heads. When we hear that word, word play, uh, you know, because evidently Israel has hostages too. Because they said today that some of the prisoners, quote unquote, prisoners that was released were women and young children. So it, it, it from what from what you you need to say is this hostages basically on both sides. But one side is releasing prisoners and the other side yeah. is releasing hostages. But let me let me say this, because this is something that you wrote in your letter. And, and I'm going to read this. This is your writing. It says, but I've learned an interesting thing being inside this Israeli prison. First of all, it's incredibly black populated, mostly by young Ethiopians. <laughs> now, talk talk about that before, look, before I give the mic to Brother Richard, Dr. McKinney, because, you know, it's not surprising to me, but this is something that we never see. And I'm talking about the black people here. And black elected officials that have been back and forth to Israel constantly never expressed this. But you said that you saw this with your own eyes in these jail, in the jail. Go, go, go yes. Ahead. And I'm going to pass it to Brother Richard. But go ahead, Dr. McKinney. Well, yes, um, I saw it. And, and um, there is strife that is fomented. Uh, throughout the African continent and else places, other places. And uh, you could say that a large measure of that strife is due to U.S. policy. You know, I did a whole book on um, how the U.S. creates as whole countries since Trump called. I think he was referring to um, El Salvador and Haiti as as whole countries and, and, uh, so I said, well, uh, this requires some educating of the public here if you want to talk about uh, whole countries. And uh, so the book, the title of the book is How the U.S. Creates These Countries. And I um, got someone from Vietnam to write about Vietnam. I got someone from Puerto Rico to write about Puerto Rico. I personally wrote about Somalia. Um and uh, from Somalia, what I what I predicted was the 
Somalization of African states, in particular of Libya. Uh, it wasn't that Libya set the template or the mod, the role model. It was actually that the model for this was U.S. treatment of Somalia. And uh, that includes the psychological operation, the regime change operation, the whole bit um, that happened in Somalia and that continues to happen in Somalia because the Somalis didn't even write the Somalia uh, constitution that was written by the U.S. and then forced on the Somali people. But so we went through uh, various states that one would say, okay, well, they, they, they qualify surely. And then I traced their condition back to well, uh, me and this group of authors um, traced the conditions that experienced by the people in those states to U.S. policy. So you can say without a doubt that the United States creates these asshole countries and you can add Palestine to the list. And the United States certainly maintains Palestine as an asshole country or as a failed state. Um, that is the policy of the U.S. to do so. And uh, I saw that someone was talking about the, the squad earlier. Well, you know, if you accept their money and you get elected by their money, are you really a, a, a opposition or are you controlled opposition? <laughs> no. Oh, boy. Richard, jump in here. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's glad to, to have you back, um, McKinney. And 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 I have to say, when you open up, you, it was two um, thoughts that you projected that um, is is telling coming from the outside of United States proper and by I guess in the, yeah. in the black political mindscape and coming inside and saying I can't breathe, and yeah. then the other part of you know the World Economic Forum um, and where we are now, and that's what I wanted to um, either. Look, a helicopter view, hopefully I'm being characterizing correctly or taking a step back um, to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. uh, is the American empire in supporting um, Israel, the state of Israel, uh, Ukraine, and even pushing cultural um, um, fascism on African countries as it, as it relates to, you know, identities, um, preference, are we, would you characterize this moment as a fascist moment? Mm. Okay. Is this, mm. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, that, that is uh, an excellent question, but now let me let me take a step back uh, because you mentioned Ukraine. Let me just go there for half a minute because I think it's important for us to understand that the Zionist movement 
was begun by many people who were born in what, uh, well, you know, the territory of Ukraine is changing now, but who could be traced back to the country of Ukraine. Yes. Well, you know, there was no Ukraine country until 1991 when the Soviet Union uh, dissolved, uh, or I should say when the Soviet Union was balkanized by successful U.S. policy, because that is what happened, and they got their own, they got Soviet politicians like Gorbachev and Yeltsin also after Gorbachev to betray the Soviet people. And and so it was a deal to just basically dissolve. It was not like a military conquest. It was a bribery. But anyway, so um, you have the the this ideology that originates in Ukraine. So now we also have, in order to understand why the U.S. is so tethered. To Ukraine, we have to listen to what these people are saying about Ukraine. So now, what did what actually happened in Ukraine? So you've got the creation of oligarchs. Now, uh, I think it was Pristin just a couple of days ago, just as I was arriving, uh, declared that there was no more uh, democracy in the United States, that the United States was... Uh, technically a uh, oligarchy mm-hmm. and uh, you had the creation of the oligarchs from the ruins of the Soviet Union. So now how did that happen? You had Israel first dual citizen type people who were able to use their wherewithal from Wall Street to create the, the 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 Soviet people or the Russian people and the, all the other people because it was not just Russians the Soviet Union was not just Russian people many nations and uh, so the 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 state owned enterprises were owned by the people of the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union dissolved then or was balkanized purposely it didn't just happen then the every Russian citizen got shares in these what are called parastatals, the state-owned enterprises. And now with the devaluation of the ruble, then it was impossible for the average um, Russian citizen to be able to acquire enough money by putting their shares with the other uh, Russian shares. It would have been possible, but it was not possible for them to overcome Wall Street finance that was able, that all of this was orchestrated. And this was orchestrated from New York and Boston. So now you've got, it's not an accident that of the top 11 oligarchs that were created in the post-Soviet world of Russia and Ukraine, it's, you know, those states, that those oligarchs were, uh, 10 of the 11 were Israeli passport holders. 
people don't, I don't think that that was something that was made, uh, that uh, the world was kind of made aware of what actually was taking place. So you've got a population in both Ukraine and uh, a sizable Muslim population in sort of the central uh, Asia area of the Soviet Union. But um, you also had these oligarchs that were Israeli passport holders that were created with tremendous uh, access to resources. These were billionaires that were created, and they took over the state-owned enterprises, and then they shut them down, and they were going to do a typical kind of um, uh, shut them down, uh, uh, force people into the same kind of Gaza kind of existence. And what they didn't realize was that uh, one young guy at the time who came from the KGB uh, was going to force them, as a Russian nationalist, who was going to force them to open those state-owned enterprises or the, he was going to and put the Russian people back to work or um, he was going to put them in prison or take their money. And so that was sort of like the rise of Vladimir Putin. And there's a video on uh, YouTube that uh, discusses, uh, that discusses um, uh, Putin's rise. Well, so now you've got this Orthodox Christian state. And, you know, we over here are not really exposed to Orthodox Christianity. Uh, like for me, for example, I went to Catholic schools and I, you know, the, 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 the Vatican is no paragon of morality because the Vatican has been uh, steeped in uh, genocide of indigenous peoples, uh, human trafficking of African peoples. I mean, you know, all of the crimes of the West, the, the Vatican is a part of that. Mm -hmm. But um, the Orthodox Church has not been a part of that. And so basically when Zelensky said that Ukraine should be viewed as big Israel, what exactly was he saying? In 2014, when the United States did the regime change operation against the Orthodox Christian-led government of Ukraine and installed it with Israeli passport holders who were a part of those uh, oligarchs that were created by Wall Street in uh, the early 1990s, that is uh, that was a fundamental transformation of the uh, is of the Ukrainian state from that which represented or reflected the values of its own people, as well as whatever the political exigencies of the day might be, but um, that became this outpost for. Israel, uh, Israel first, uh, dual citizen kind of activity where you get 
BlackRock going into Ukraine and buying up all of the land kind of thing. And uh, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard are the three uh, companies that um, basically own Wall Street. They own enough uh, interest in all of the Fortune 500 uh, companies, probably Fortune 1000 companies. So it's now sort of you can't make fundamental decisions without taking into consideration the uh, position of the ownership of of, or the leadership of of BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. So now who would these people be? This is another set of um, dual citizens, Israeli passport holders. So, uh, and, and the... Their takeover of Wall Street was facilitated in 2008 by Barack Obama. So um, sort of prior to 2000, that was when we had our great economic reset. Well, the reset was in terms of uh, who basically owns Wall Street. And uh, those three uh, funds became the basic owners of Wall Street. So now... um, You've got Professor Richard Wolf, I see in the comment here, talking about fascism being on the agenda. But I, I, so I haven't looked at the political system as much as who's pulling the strings of the next political system that we're going to have. Now, you can call it fascism, and you won't, I don't think you'll get to the point of who's actually calling the strings because you can say, Oh, those are fascists, fascists. Well, who are the, who are these fascists? I think anything that takes us away from understanding who has the power and who has no power is um, what we need to focus on and who these people are. So if you've got Klaus Schwab, talking about he has been able to infiltrate, and that's his word, um, various governments around the country. And you see, for example, Argentina, the new Argentinian uh, president. What is he doing? He raised the Israeli flag. He didn't raise the Argentina flag. He raised the Israeli flag. So now... I, you know, I can say, okay, yeah, it's it, it's fascist, and you know, they're inside the U.S. government, and they're all these, but it's not. It's a subset of maybe fascists, and we, if we don't name the enemy, so now, what, uh, you know, Sun Tzu, I, I'm doing a thing now. I'm studying Chinese language, and I'm doing a thing. Um, uh, I found a YouTube channel that has all of the history of China you know, sort of um, boiled down into about a hundred um, uh, videos, short videos that are easily gi- digestible. So I've been looking at them. And um, the Sun Tzu is not the only military uh, writer that comes from uh, China from 2000 years ago. There were several. But one one uh, methodology of winning in any battle 
is that you've got to, as Sun Tzu says, know yourself and know your enemy. And if you don't know yourself, then you're doomed to lose in any military enterprise. And we need to position ourselves that just living our lives is a military enterprise. It's a, it's a battle. It's a daily battle for us to recognize who we are and who they are, who is taking away from us our right to life, our right to rights, our right to happiness since the United States was uh, basically found on the pursuit of happiness. Okay. Now, and you can't, so fascism is a kind of uh, government that where there is collusion between the state and, well, the private becomes the public and the public becomes the private. And you could say, well, maybe there's a little bit of, uh, uh, of fascism in any kind of public-private enterprise, which when I first got into uh, office, that was the big thing. That was a big innovation. So um, I would, I'm not afraid of uh, the fascists at the moment. I'm afraid of these Israel first um, dual citizens because, you know, of course, you know, you cannot have citizenship of another state, including of the United States, if you are a member of the Israeli Knesset. Mm -hmm. So you cannot have this uh, situation of this divided loyalty of persons who serve in the U.S., in the uh, Israeli military, who uh, carry an Israeli passport, who are making U.S. policy for Israel and every place else that Israel wants to subjugate. And uh, that is the fascism, in my opinion, because it's taking us away from the um, all of the black uh, presidential candidates from the, the, in fact, the very, very, very first African-American presidential candidate was a, was a man who ran on the Constitution Party. We have all been trying to get the United States to enforce its Constitution. And uh, we understand the oligarchic uh, foundations of the U.S. itself, so we shouldn't be surprised when Princeton today comes out with a statement that the United States is no longer a democracy, it is an oligarchy. Well, we understand the roots of that oligarchic system. However, something else has supplanted that so that now the pursuit is not for the rights that are enshrined in the Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution, but instead of subverting the Bill of Rights and subverting individual rights, subverting even uh, group rights, because we're seeing, um, uh, well, but, but these people have been active inside our 
uh, community and the civil rights movement for a very long time, ever since there probably was an abolitionist movement or a civil rights movement that um, could be subverted. And so I would rather say, okay, who's the problem? And I directly point to the presence of <clears throat> these uh, dual citizens that are inside the United States government. They are directly the problem. They're not necessarily the only problem, but they right now are the callers of the shots of what it is to be the United States, the U.S. foreign policy, U.S. domestic policy. Let me, let, me, let me grab a couple of these calls because they've been waiting patiently. Let's first go to Toronto. Toronto, are you there? Toronto? Hello? Yes, sir. Oh, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Oh, beautiful. I wanted to ask uh, uh, Ms. Uh, uh, McKinney if she could talk about the uh, the uh, Bandon Conference here in 19... Uh, Fifty-five. You had a conference in Indonesia where twenty-nine African and Asian nations uh, uh, united to, you know, to deal with the uh, colonization and so on, the Cold War situation. And I wanted to know uh, how she feel, how she feels the unity of those twenty-nine African nations and uh, people of color today, or not that they're people of color, but the third world countries. Uh, how, how, do, how do you see it? Uh, are we any better off in terms of uh, fighting the system and coming together, or is that a pipe dream? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I teach my students about the Bandung Conference. I, I uh, am responsible <clears throat> for teaching graduate students and undergraduate students. The Graduate students can be either in the MBA program or they can be in a program that is a master's program in policy and governance. And um, <clears throat> in uh, both of those programs, I teach leadership because my Ph.D. is in leadership. In the policy and governance program, I teach leadership. Uh, the name of the course is leadership and development. And so um, I uh take a look at uh, leadership basically for development or leadership among the development, what has now become an industry. <clears throat> okay, so uh, one of the things I made a note here to say uh, is about the open borders. So you can have open borders in the United States. Europe is supposed to have open borders but Israel doesn't have open borders other than the borders that it acquires when it goes militarily on the offensive and steals the land or the water or the natural gas of other states. And right now, Israel is stealing the natural gas of the Palestinians because <clears throat> uh, those areas are rich in uh, natural gas deposits that are a part of the uh, Gazan, <clears throat> which would be Palestinian natural waters, but uh, you're not allowed to approach there. And in fact, when I was picked up by the Israeli Navy, <clears throat> when our ship was, our, our boat was picked up by the Israeli Navy, basically they took us on a very circuitous route out of um, 
proximity to uh, Gaza's territorial waters and took us into Israel. And the reason I believe that the route was so circuitous is that they were already uh, had platforms out there uh, stealing the um, natural gas from the Palestinians. We know that there are certain um, Israel first type uh, organizations, uh, companies that have been created to steal the resources from the Golan Heights. Uh, Israel has occupied parts of Syria. Israel <clears throat> has uh, uh, occupied, uh, well, they tried to occupy parts of Lebanon, and they still have, I think, uh, Shaba Farms in Lebanon. So they are stealing uh, the resources that are happen to be on the land in those areas. And so now uh, what reminds me of is, uh, and I, you know, once I got to Asia, one of the things that I realized was that there's a whole nother way of being in other parts of the world. And the oppression that we have, the, the analytical oppression that we have experienced in trying to understand the origins of World War One, origins of World War Two, um, uh, including even the um, U.S. participation in Vietnam War and other uh, decolonization wars that are taking place, you could say that this that is happening now is a decolonization war because um, uh, um, Palestinians are trying to decolonize themselves. Now, the pertinence of the, uh, so basically what I wanted to say is that these open borders are being perpetrated by the Israel firsters or the dual citizens or the um, uh, Zionists or the uh, people of, of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. So now, how can I say that? Okay, I wrote a, uh, I wrote a paper uh, called uh, "Purple Revolution." What exactly was the Purple Revolution in the United States when um, Hillary Clinton and everybody, you know, was wearing purple, and the guy who's been discredited, who almost became the governor of Florida. I can't remember his name, but totally discredited. But see, these are the kinds of people that the Israel Firsters select to be black leaders or um, Stacey Abrams uh, in Georgia selected by uh, she was very uh, close to uh, uh, George Soros's son. I think his name is uh, I can't uh, Alexander, I think. But anyway, You'll see that the space at the top is very small and uh, that the uh, so-called black leadership or African-American leadership is not really African-American leadership. It's African-American leadership that has been selected by these uh, Ashkenazi Jews that take have control over the um, – uh, Wall Street and the Federal Reserve because they're printing money. We have to understand where the money comes from and it's not coming uh, it's coming from them. They are always able to en en enrich or en en ingratiate themselves with um, 
powers that should not be because of their overwhelming um, access to, to, to money. And uh, so the open borders are these guys. So it's not an, a, an accident. You've got millions of people coming through the U.S.'s southern border, probably the northern border, too. And the United States now is being afflicted with that exact same phenomenon that we witnessed of Africans and Asians going into Europe. And <clears throat> Gillum, that's right, uh, Gillum. And the uh, uh, Italians did a study, and they found that every one of the ships, and if you looked at the pictures of those ships, of uh, bringing those Africans and Asians out of their home countries that have been created to be asshole countries by U.S. policy. Now they have to flee those miserable circumstances and they flee those miserable circumstances on boats that have been provided by George Soros. Open Society Foundations uh, financed everyone of those boats. I would suspect that the organization of the caravans and the financing of the caravans coming into the United States of millions, tens of millions of um, undocumented individuals is also a part of um, the open society program to do the same thing to Europe uh, or to the United States as it has successfully done in Europe and then, of course, on the African continent. So now the question was about the Bandung Conference. So I have the unique opportunity to actually teach my students about decolonization. And the reason I think that that is so important <clears throat> is because decolonization goes to the core of knowing yourself. You must know yourself. Remember, Sun Tzu said, if you know yourself and know your enemy, you will win a thousand battles. So you not only have to know yourself, you also have to know your enemy. Whose foot is on your neck disabling your ability to breathe freely? Who is it? And if you don't name the person whose foot is on your neck, then you're aiming at everywhere, everywhere. They took, when they, when they targeted me, I was the only thing in the news cycle. When they targeted Libya, despite Libya having 7 million people, Muammar Gaddafi was the only thing in the news cycle. Bashar Assad, the only thing in the news cycle. And um, the Ayatollah, Hamani in Iran, the only thing in the news cycle. Why? Because these are the, the targets for the Israel firsters, the dual citizens inside the United States. They ultimately, as uh, Wesley Clark told us, want to have uh, war against the seven countries, including Somalia, uh, Lebanon, um, Iran, Iraq, etc. All of the wars that the United States has been engaged in up to this point that have not benefited the people of the U.S., not one bit, um, 
all of that is a part of this greater Israel project that we talk about. So decolonization is key to us being able to win our battle. And I believe that we as a people in the United States have not been able to uh, have two successive generations of wins because we don't know ourselves. We don't know ourselves and we don't know who our enemy is. And so we don't know who's, you know, we say it's the white man. Well, for a while, they were absolutely right that it was, quote, unquote, the white man. But white people are divided into many different nations of people. And if you don't understand the hierarchy within sort of white society, then you won't know who actually has their foot on your neck. And uh, if we just go and look at, of course, you know, I was in China at the time of the release of the, uh, not the release, but the, uh, well, actually, yeah, it had been released at that time. And um, of uh, the SARS coronavirus 2 bioweapon spike protein, Um, because the bioweapon is the spike protein that was created in U.S. labs. Um, And uh, so I wrote the book um, or edited the book, um, When China Sneezes, the Political Economic um, Implications of of the Lockdown. So basically, this was a book that was produced in, in 2020, because in January of 2020, before China locked down, I was in China. And um, I was there doing research on something else. And then this, this, the whole world shut down. And of course, that needed to be investigated. And I wrote the chapter on uh, genocide. I was the one that found the study that came out just after, unfortunately, the book was published, the study on uh, the K-26R Jews who are a subpopulation of the Ashkenazi Jews who are immune to the spike protein. Now, when I said it, oh, you know, it was, oh, she's racist, oh, she's this, oh, she's that, because I asked the question on Twitter, tell me who's dying. If you tell me who's dying, then I will know who's targeted, Right. Because under SARS, which is a disease that was created also by the United States taxpayers and certain elements within the United States government, SARS, if I were in a room with an East Asian person and the SARS was, uh, uh, spike protein was released, that East Asian person would end up getting very sick and possibly dying. And I wouldn't be affected by it. SARS was our first, um, well, I won't say our first, it was our our first tampering of the um, coronavirus spike protein so that it could target certain individuals of genetic background. And we've got, who wrote the book, uh, Rebuilding America's Defenses? That was a project for a new American century. And what did they write in that book? That 
biological weapons targeting a specific genotype could become a politically useful tool. Who are those people? Those are not just white people. Those are the very same Ashkenazis, dual citizens, um, and they're probably the K26R subvariant of the Ashkenazi Jewish population. So we have to know our enemy. Now, would these people target a, uh, create a biological weapon that would spare them and kill everybody else? Well, they've been trying to do that. Weren't they? Wasn't the whole uh, apartheid regime in South Africa and the apartheid regime in Israel about creating biological weapons that would kill specifically black people and specifically brown people? Wasn't that the whole objective of their program? Yes, of course it was. So now, because of that research, now we know that if you want to target East Asia, you can give them the SARS spike protein. If you want to target Europeans, you can give them the SARS-2 spike protein. You want to target Arabs, you can give them the MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, the MERS spike syndrome. So you, <laughs> they pretty much have gotten it. And, and, and how... Did they did they come to know us genet- genotypically so well? Because we didn't know ourselves. And we were trying to understand who we are, where we come from, and they told us that if we gave them a drop of our, of our blood and we could uh, send that to them, that they would tell us where we came from in Africa. That's Ancestry, uh, 23andMe, all of these companies that were taking our DNA, what were they doing with it? And now we've got killing machines. What I said in the When China Sneezes book is that our bloodstream has now become a battlefield. And all of this has come about because we don't know ourselves. They know us better than we know ourselves. And so the Bandung Conference was a um, conference that took place in uh, Bandung, Indonesia. And it was called, uh, it was hosted by uh, Sukarno. (laughs) And Sukarno, then the United States implemented because it was the first gathering. It was called the Afro-Asian Block. And it was the first gathering of Africans and Asians saying, we're going to get rid of We're going to get rid of these European interlopers who have come and taken over our countries, taken over our land, and subjugating our people. And so uh, it was a revolutionary moment at that time. And, uh, so the, the, but the, the, the way that the U.S. fought back was they had what's called the, um, the, uh, Indonesian, uh, how, what do they call it? The Indonesian. So they, uh, destabilized the state because, uh, Sukarno 
was uh, democratically elected. Um, and yes, and he was uh, overthrown by this by way of this template. So the United States basically subverted the independent state of Indonesia and uh, then created this other state by way of military cooperation. And, you know, the, the whole um, sort of Indonesia thing comes from uh, Carpassus and the complete subjugation of the African peoples, by the way, that are the um, East, uh, uh, the, mm, the, they are the indigenous people of some of the Indonesian uh, islands. So uh, Bandung is extremely uh, important for us to understand its importance, but also it's also important for us to understand who we are. And I believe that we that we have the problems in our own community because we don't understand who we are, and mm-hmm. we're still searching for our own identity. Can I say something? Uh, sure, Robert yes, Williams, When Robert Williams went to China, uh, they thought he was from Indonesia. Robert Frank Williams over here, the brothers of Rodney, Robert Frank China. They, when they first saw him, they, they, they saw him in China. They thought he was from Indonesia, just to the point you made about uh, the, the uh, we people who are darker than blue in 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 in, uh, in Indonesia. Yes, that's right. And uh, so we also need to understand that the 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 uh, archipelago uh, of island states in the Pacific is also populated by African descended people. We have to understand uh, who we are, like, you know, sort of landlocked in this land, but then who we are as an international people as well. And uh, it's important for us to know that we're not just, you know, sort of one identity. We have multiple identities and those multiple identities allow us to fit in with uh, the rest of the world in the way that accords dignity and respect to people who look like us around the world. And to the extent that we don't respect ourselves, then we don't respect our neighbors and we don't respect others who, who, who look like us. And that is, you know, I have to be honest that I just, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a, a thing of pride for me to wear my hair natural and uh, I, you know, whatever that is, however that looks, whatever it is, it's mine. It's, it's mine. <laughs> uh, and I certainly, you know, it's just, but to, you can't to, find it today. Toronto. Thanks for your call. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Let's go to Princeton, New Jersey, Princeton. Princeton, are you there? Let's let's put let's put them back on hold. Let's go to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. 
Okay. Just wanted to say thank you for uh, to you, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, and thank you, uh, Dr. Cynthia McKinney, for joining us tonight. Um, you've really been a role model for all black women worldwide, especially considering that we have people like Linda Thomas-Greenfield in the United Nations right now. Um, just wanted to see what you thought of uh, Mia Motley and what she was doing in Barbados. What I thought about who? Uh, Mia Motley, the Prime Minister of Barbados. Well, to be honest, um, I haven't kept up with Barbados. To, uh, uh, I was invited to go to Barbados to speak about, um, what did they invite me to speak about? Um, uh, Kwanzaa. And <laughs> I don't think I would ever have gotten uh, invited again because I, I, you know, I think it's important for us to have our own um, values and our own identity and our own holidays and our own everything like that. But, you know, if I look back at, um, the creator of of Kwanzaa, and I look back at the role of count of of the counterintelligence program in the complete decimation of whatever movement for um, dignity and freedom that we were uh, struggling with at the time of the counterintelligence program. I just can't follow people who, um, or I, 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 I'm sorry, you know, I just can't get can't get too deeply involved in movements that were manipulated, that were manipulated by the FBI against our own people. So, and that's sort of like, uh, the genesis of, um, of, uh, uh, Kwanzaa. And, uh, so anyway, uh, I can't speak about what, uh, Barbados has done. Have they, uh, separated themselves from the United Kingdom yet? Yes, they have. Um, I feel like it's been pretty progressive, but I just wanted to get your um, your take on it. But thank you so much for your time. I really don't have any additional questions. I am also studying um, the Chinese language, and I am also keeping an eye on some of the um, the Asian Afro the Afro-Asiatic countries, um, places in like the Southern hemisphere, such as the uh, Solomon Islands. So thank you so much for your time. Okay. Also, um, you should pay attention to the African populations. Like for example, I've visited, uh, Pakistan and in the Sindh area of Pakistan, their traditions, culture, and uh, ceremonies are indistinguishable from those uh, in other parts of Africa. So um, we literally are everywhere. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I'll definitely look into that. Okay, yeah, look thank into that as part of your studies. Thank you for your contribution, sister. Thank you. Let's go to Philadelphia again. Uh, you're on there, Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say, you know, uh, thank you, Brother Elliot, for having this uh, strong, powerful sister in, in the cause on on your uh, show t- today. And uh, um, the word admiration will come up. I really respect, and and she does have my approval. And, she, and I um, read about her in the Final Call newspaper n- numerous times. And I just wanted to quickly say that she reminds me of. Uh, Sister Shakata Shakur and Sojourner Truth and Sister 
soldier and uh, uh, many Mandela, Dr. Ava Muhammad, and all the strong sisters in the cause. And I just want to say, may Allah continue to uh, shower you with protection and uh, success, sister. And uh, I and all those in the cause really appreciate you, Dr. McKinney. Well, thank you uh, so much for putting me in the company of uh, those uh, wonderful women. I do have to make, uh, uh, since you mentioned Asada Shakur, let me make an admission that um, there was a a resolution on the floor of the House that uh, talked about somebody by the name of uh, Davies or something. I can't, it was like a, a regular name. It was not Asada Shakur. And so the, uh, I distinctly remember going to some of my colleagues and saying, who is this? It was only after we voted that we understood that it was that the resolution was about Asada Shakur. Um, but uh, anyone who uh, who is a victim of the counterintelligence program should not have been punished, but should have been celebrated. And those who perpetrated the crimes of the counterintelligence program against black people or the ones that should have been punished, but they never were. So uh, long live Asada Shakur. And thank goodness um, that the Cubans uh, gave her asylum, but she shouldn't have to have asylum from her own country. Hmm. I'm just, I'm just sitting here learning, learning from you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for your contribution, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me, too. Uh, let me go here to, let's go to 212. 212, New York City. New York City. Mm-hmm. He must have stepped away. Let's go to Philadelphia again. 215. Good, good evening, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. Yes, good sir. evening, Dr. McKinney. How, how everybody doing tonight? Great. Uh, praise be to Allah. You know, Dr. McKinney, I don't, I don't know if you remember about maybe 20, 25 years ago. It's, it's been a while. You had came to Philadelphia, and you came here on like a two- or three-day workshop. And yeah. uh, it's, it's just me. I was you know, with, 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 with that group then, and you were so wonderful uh, Dr. McKinney, you know, with, uh, Ms., uh, our dear sister, uh, Miss Cola Clark and everybody, and, it was just, and just the atmosphere, the vibe that we sat around at the airport hotel and had, we broke bread together. We discussed, you know, uh, programs and ideas to move our people forward. And it was just a wonderful two or three days spending with you. And that's one event. I'm 62 years old now, Dr. McKinney. I'll never forget that as long as I live, just many of your presence, Dr. McKinney. And just like the previous caller said before me, you know, you definitely are in the, can be mentioned in the same breath of those sisters that he mentioned. And I, and I just want to, you know, thank Allah and thank, you know, for, for, for your courage, because what you did is not an easy feat, but for, for you to have a moral fortitude. And I say this very distinctly, 
Dr. McKinney. They had on the the, the believe the believe in yourself. They have your self confidence and the believe in who you are and be comfortable with your own skin to say, look, I'm not signing no resolution, being no rubber snap for Israel. Like them yeah. handkerchief head Negroes that we got in there now. The fact that you still strong, that that says something about you. Because now look at the, the Negroes that we got in there now. The the the, the, the Hakeem Jeffries, the Gregory Meeks, the work the Raphael Warnocks, the, the the Eric Adams of New York. These people are disgraced, man. That to sit there and side with these racist, murderous Zionist regime. You know, the fact that you had to, you assisted that, you had the courage to say, no, I'm not doing that, you know? I mean, and you know, and you know Dr. McKinney, how, how the media, you know, that's why I say, like Brother Malcolm said years ago, you have to be very in tune when you're done with this white, mainstream, corporately controlled media because they'll have you loving your friends and hating your enemies because what they do, they they know how to gloss over certain things and make and highlight certain things. For example, all you kept hearing, Doctor McKinney, and for the time we can listen to this, leading up to after October seventh, well, Hamas kidnapped Israeli uh, uh, women and children. Well, in this prisoner exchange, come to find out, and when the media mentioned it, they just glossed right on over. Well. And of, of, of those Palestinian prisoners released from Israeli jails, several was 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 women and children. So I'm saying, and, and, and what got me, Dr. McKinney, one of the people that was released was a, was a three of them, but this one boy, Palestinian boy, he was 16 years old, and according to the journalist, he had been in that Israeli jail for years. So that means if he's 16, he must have been in jail since he was like maybe 11 or 12 years old. You know, he was and in, had, and that 16 year old young kid was in prison. Why? Because he was throwing rocks. Exactly. So, 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 and and and, and thank you, Doctor McKinney, for clarifying that. Because see, that's what I'm saying. How the media just glass over that. So yeah, yeah, ignorant. Some of our people that's ignorant among us, and of course, white people, the Caucasians, how they, how they are, how they look at things. But it's just amazing. Like I said, Doctor McKinney, how they can just keep hopping the fact that that that, that Hamas had Israeli women and children, children when they, when they when they did the October seventh attack. But they gloss over the fact that the Israel had these Palestinian women and children in their prisons for years. Like that's no big deal. And, and they do the same thing, Dr. McKinney, over the years when you have these uprising in Gaza or, or the West Bank, whatever. On any given day, Dr. you know it as well better than me, Dr. Ben, you're a former member of Congress. You've been over there and in the heart of that. That, that 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 chaos and that apartheid regime over there, you you will see a case where uh, it'd be an airstrike where they'll kill like about maybe a uh, hundred Palestinians, men, women, and children who not even any be combatants, and then they'll sit there and say, oh, but 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 but, but Hamas or Hezbollah, they kill ten ten Jewish people, and they'll, and they'll say they kill Jewish women and children, and they'll make a big deal about that, like like those hundreds of something Palestinian lives didn't count. You know what I mean? I mean, these people yeah. are some they are some sick, evil people, man. I'm telling you, I don't, you know, I just sit back and they just, and that's why, like I said, uh, as a 62 year old black man, I'm just astonished how so-called black leadership can sit there and sign on stuff like that. These people that can be that evil and inhumane and stuff, man, you've had, you, you had Israeli uh, uh, leader uh, three years ago. I think he made a comment where he said one, he said, he said a thousand Palestinian lives is not worth the fingernail of one Jewish baby. Something yeah. to that effect. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is the kind of mindset that you're dealing with, man. And, and as a Muslim, 
Dr. McKinney and the student of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the, minister, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, I, I, I respect in life on all sides. I don't see no one get killed. But when I see that the total in, inhumane is coming from these people and to see our so-called black leadership sign on to this, because as they say in the Quran, to kill one innocent person is like you killed all of mankind. And, and, and for your black so-called black leadership to sit there and sign on with this stuff, and, and, and that's why I... I, I had the privilege, Dr. McKinney, I'll say a couple of things, Ellen, and I'll get off so somebody else could get on. I have participated in at least two or three post-Palestinian uh, 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 marches here in put it one last Friday we, where we marched up and down Broad Street in Philadelphia, right on over from, from Broad and, and stuff from Broad and Spring Garden over to the Liberty Bell at 6th and Market Street. And it was just so beautiful seeing these beautiful Palestinian sisters and brothers and black brothers and sisters and brothers holding hand in hand because the same entity that oppresses Palestinians are the same people that oppress us. And to be marching hand in hand with them, showing solidarity and stuff. And, and, and we kept on saying, don't do this in our name. So I don't know how any by black man or woman that's got any respect to sit there and support that, this bloodshed and, and murder and mayhem in your name. Don't do it in my name, you know? And that's why that's we kept right. chatting, and that's why we kept chatting up and down Broad Street, we was chatting five, six, seven, eight. Israel is a terrorist state. We just kept on saying it over and over again to drop, the, to drop that point home and stuff, you know? And you notice, Dr. McKinney, and I'll say these last things, I'm off, you notice how the white media, and, and, and I expected that of them, but even your black media is, is so they, they are so lacking because they don't even talk to Jewish people that's against that. You got a group of people called Jewish, Jewish Voices for Peace that's against what's going on over there. They spoke out strongly. They have set down Third Street Station here in Philadelphia. They shut down Grandson Station in New York. They've been called self-hating Jews. They've been threatened by other right-wing extremist Jews. The, the black media don't even have the decency to, to, to go to those voices. They go, even on black radio here in Philadelphia, they go talk to these right-wing extremist, murderous, racist Jews and stuff on, on, on this radio and interviewing them about how they feel. I don't give a damn about how they feel. Why would you even talk to these people? Talk to some Jewish people that got some humanity about themselves and stuff. You know what I mean? See, that's why I say, Dr. McKinney, people like yourself is so important. That's why I applaud Brother Ellie and Brother Richard for, ha for having this forum so we can get the voices out there that can move our people forward and, 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 and override these Negroes that got their hands in these Zionist pockets because... I, I, and I say this last point, Dr. Uh, McKinney, APAC, when, when APAC come here to the United States, it, you, you, it's a shame for our people that really, they could see how these niggas tapping and, and, and buck dance when APAC come here and they, and they address Congress. You see them handkerchief their niggas in that Congress, male and female, they jump up down and cheer for them, for that, for that thug, Netanyahu, just like the white ones on the Republican and Democrat side. They see these black people that you vote for and for the supposed to have your interests at heart, they stuff their chant for this murderous thug. It's, it's just embarrassing. It's a, it's a disgrace. And I just wanted to thank you for, for being here, Dr. McKinney. I thank Ali and Richard for having you on. I would just sit back and, and listen to the rest of the show. And, and like the brother said before me, but I like intend to bless you and keep you safe, Dr. McKinney, because you're a treasure to our people. And I don't take your presence for, for lightly. I pray for your continued safety and your continued help and safety. Thank you, Brother Ali and Richard. I put me mute and, and I'll listen for the rest of the show. Thanks for your contribution. Wow, he has so much to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember that time uh, when we were in Philadelphia at that building there, and we were having meetings with Dr. Colia Clark, and we were uh, so disgusted with the state of black politics in the U.S. that we were trying to do something different. We were trying to create something new. And uh, Coley had come up with the idea for the Reconstruction Party, and we would that's what we would call it, the Reconstruction Party. 
And um, uh, she was taken away from us not too long ago. Um, and uh, but she hers was a, a, a very clear voice that uh, business as usual can't can't be the way we operate. We've got to do something different. And she did everything. She dedicated her life to being different politically, but being extremely political and being different politically because the business as usual just wasn't working for us. And um, that brings to mind this, uh, I think his name is Jones, Dr. Ricky Jones, who wrote the book, What's What's Wrong with Obama Mania? And in that book, there's a chapter called Black Hawks Down. And in that chapter, he basically talks about uh, black elected officials like me. And he specifically mentions me as being a black hawk because black people knew that they, they had somebody in the federal government in the Congress that was going to look out for them. I mean, black people understood who I was and who I represented. And, um, but unfortunately not enough, not enough did when I was engaged in that hand to hand combat to, uh, understand. But, um, uh, I think our caller mentioned, um, Gregory Meeks, and I just have a Gregory Meeks story. I don't think I've ever told it on um, Time for Awakening. I don't think I've told it. But uh, when <clears throat> Abner Luima mm-hmm. was, uh, he was sodomized, and then there was the other, um, the young, uh, where was he from? Uh, was it Senegal? Uh, the one who was killed in the in the vestibule uh, went for his wallet. In the vestibule of his building. Mm-hmm. When this series of atrocities uh, took place, I just you know I, I was just too through, too 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 through, and so I uh, went to the members of the Congressional Black Caucus up in New York. And I said, I'm done. I'm done. We need to organize a meeting. We need to call for a uh, black protest march in New York City. And our presence needs to be so overwhelming that, you know, they that then we just take over. We just take over and say, no, 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 this is not going. You are not going to kill us like this. And uh, it was Gregory Meeks. Told me, oh, we're in New York. We don't march in New York. That's something y'all do down south. <laughs> that was Gregory Meeks, and he has become a walking embarrassment to the rest of the world. So while I was down in Colombia liaising and trying to empower the Afro Colombians. Gregory Meeks was down there with the government trying to suppress black people in Colombia. Gregory Meeks is an embarrassment. And the worst thing, I will say this, I shouldn't say it, but I think of, I think it aloud sometimes. And that is that the worst thing that happened to African freedom fighters was African Americans. 
I had one uh, African-American tell me Barack Obama is her reparations. And if uh, he chooses to bomb Libya, then I'm supporting him bombing Libya. I mean, what kind of ignorance do we produce on a global scale? Well, anyway, I mean... You know, uh, Dr. McKinney, what you said, I mean, I had to... Because this delineation and, and something about knowing yourself, this delineation of different political philosophies that operate amongst black Americans, we have to crystallize. You said that are the death of the freedom fighters. That's right. These, I mean, it's a particular political philosophy that exists that comes out of being developed by, you know, being a part of this American, American empire in, in comparison to, and that's what we have to, because sometimes our, the way I hear us, you know, even when we're talking about who we are, not making that distinction. Because there's a different value. When you talk about leadership, there's a different value system operate. Um, Meeks being in Colombia as a black man coming out a black state as a black representative of black people, obviously, and then being reelected. That yeah. is a group of people that are not thinking have the same value system politically that's right because i i mean i got kicked out of the congress for standing up for black people and folk like gregory meeks now uh are thriving in the congress and betrayal let me tell you what james uh jim Clyburn told me so as as uh 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 earl hilliard came up with a brilliant idea <clears throat> that uh, every member of the Congressional Black Caucus should adopt one or two or three black states on the African continent. <clears throat> states, I should say, on the African continent. And it, not doing anything uh, more in terms of work. Doesn't require any more work. But Every committee has international jurisdiction. So if you were not just the committee that oversees the State Department, but like the Department of Education has uh, um, international education uh, uh, and, and international cooperation by way of education as a part of its jurisdiction. Agriculture has it. Um uh the judici uh the um uh oh uh, the judicial committee has it judiciary committee has it so every committee that oversees a department or agency has this international bureau in it and so it would be very easy for us to divide up the African continent as a part of the Congressional Black Caucus and say, okay, well, we're going to, in the course of my work on education, I'm going to look out for Libya, Somalia, and Cameroon, say, for example. Uh, it would be very easy. So Earl Hilliard had uh, suggested this in the uh, Congressional Black Caucus meeting and you know what Jim Clyburn said? I represent South Carolina, not South Africa. 
And he don't so, do that. But go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. McKinney. That's right. That's exactly right. So the problem is he represents his family very well, however. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but um, but the problem, so the problem is that these people are allowed, you know, I set a very bad example. And well, wait a minute. Me, wait a minute, Dr. McKinney. And, uh, let me uh, say this. Dr. McKinney, let me say savage. this. Let me say this, Dr. McKinney, and then I'll let you continue. See, that goes to what you said a little while ago about us not knowing ourselves. Because why would you say a foolish statement like that about, I represent South Carolina, now South Africa? We're the, we're the, people, right. we're the same people. What are you talking about? Okay, so now let's let's go to Dr. Umar Johnson, who... Uh, made a very poignant maybe two or three minute video where he said I'm not going to waste one minute um, standing up for the Palestinian people because I have to spend all of my time defending Africa. Well, I um, understand the sentiment. I just happen to disagree because the people who have their feet on the neck of the African continent is the same people who are uh, throwing bombs and missiles and white phosphorus right now at the Palestinian people. It's the same people. So now if there's a way that we can do a coalition to support each other, I understand that when the time comes, we are by ourselves. But there might be a time when we are not by ourselves. Are we smart enough to recognize that time and join against the same enemy? That's what we ought to always be looking for. And in fact, that's what the Black Panthers were looking for. And that's what the Black Panthers did. There's video of the Black Panthers with the white nationalists. Imagine the uproar that that, that could uh, result if the black nationalists and the white nationalists got together, because quite frankly, I'm not afraid of a, 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 a you know, they, they said I had a stalker from the uh, hillbilly, a hillbilly stalker from uh, the hills, the mountains of Georgia, who was trying to kill me, right? And the FBI called me. I was sitting, sitting looking at a football game with my mom, and my dad and the FBI calls and they want to protect me because I've got a, a threat against me from the um, some hillbillies. And I laughed. I literally laughed because the threat to me comes from the FBI, not from, not, not from those hillbillies. Anyway, uh, we have to think militarily. And of course, now, of course, that, you know, the purpose of hooking our young uh, men up in drugs was to get rid of, after they experienced the military training, they were no longer a useful military formation that could be used against, well, that could be used against the powers that should not be in defense of our community. (laughs) Our community is naked in front of these huge, tremendous powers. And that's why 
they find it easier to pick on they pick they can pick on black people and uh black women in particular they can pick on us because we don't have a community to come to support. When that police officer put his hands on me and jerked me around, I wanted black men from all over the United States to come to Washington, D.C. and walk with me. Nobody came. We don't have a community. We can't have, we don't have what uh, Bob Marley said, how long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? And that's what has happened to us. So when that professor, Ricky Jones, wrote that uh, Black Hawks Down chapter, the black people who stood for us, they were dismissed from positions of power. And now what we have are pitiful excuses. They're not leaders, they're cowards. And yet they represent us at the highest uh, levels of our government, whether it's state government, city government, school boards, or the federal government. And that's what we've got. Dr. McKinney, let me, let me ask you, because you kind of transitioned into that last part that I wanted to get into, because I, uh, we try to focus, especially near the end, with some solutions. But let me ask you this in relation to what you said a second ago. And uh, looking at our situation politically, in your mind, how much responsibility, I don't want to use the word blame because it is blame, but I'll say responsibility at this time. How much responsibility is it for black media? Because you do have some that are out there uh, 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 blowing the alarm, sounding the alarm about all of these people, including the traitorous black people among us. But the popular black media, how much responsibility is it that they're not alerting black people of what's going on? That some of our people are oblivious to some of the things that we've talked about this evening, some of the traitorous behavior of some black elected officials, which they should know about, because believe me, if our people knew about some of these things that you even speak up, that you, that you even spoke about tonight, they wouldn't be voting for these people. So, how much, in your mind, does responsibility <laughs> does media take, or black media, to 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 at least pull the cover off, to sound the alarm, to be a uh, a, a sounding, not a sounding board? And I hate to use a uh, uh, analogy of of some. Uh, 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 the Benedict Arnold, so to speak. Uh, yeah. You know, how much responsibility is it, uh, is it for black media to really be sounding alarm to black people? We need a new black media um, that is truly independent. And, you know, the thing is that um, even right here, we have, you know, we have so many obstacles that are put in our way that we have to overcome. So yes. for example, I have a friend. I had a friend. He's dead. He was found dead in his bedroom. You remember I I, I think I might have told you that this this string of dead people kind of followed me. But um 
so there was a, a member of the Georgia legislature. He was a um, a Georgia senator, a Georgia state senator, and um, uh, he wanted to make a newspaper, and uh, he. He and I would conspire all the time about how we can take our people, deliver our people to freedom away from the clutches of the Democratic Party. And uh, what we wanted was to try and build an independent block of votes since Georgia, just like most probably many other states, I won't say most, but many other states, particularly the swing states, in national elections uh, is pretty basically split. And so if you can um, commandeer a pretty good, uh, reliable block of votes, then you can kind of determine what the policy is going to be because you can determine the outcome of the election and you negotiate policy prior to the election. And so we were, you know, sort of plotting. I was uh, in the Congress. He was in the state Senate. And we were trying to make this happen. And he watched with with um, alarm at how the Dennis, Denise Majette came from out of New York, came to Georgia, um, was plucked really from nowhere kind of like Obama was plucked really and uh, uh, given hundreds of thousands of dollars to run against me and uh, she was able to win and uh, so he he watched this and then he did some outreach to her because instead of running for re-election which the dual citizen Ashkenazi K26R Jews that supported her along with ignorant white people um, who um, the, 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 she she got the finance from the Jewish community. She got the votes from the white people. And um, so she instead of running for re-election, she decided she'd run for the U.S. Senate, which left my seat open and I ran for it again and I won. And that made them very upset. The Those Ashkenazi Jews were angry at Denise Majette for not doing that. And I think she didn't do it because she had a pang of conscience and there were black women all over um, Georgia who were criticizing her for doing what she did, although there's no, no, there was nobody criticizing the black man who did what he did against me after Denise Majette had her way with me. But anyway, so um, my state senator friend was going to start this newspaper and um, tell Denise Majette's story. So he had gotten, talked to her and had gotten her to talk about how they recruited her, how they gave her money, what the promises were. So it would be like a case study, an expose on how we lose our elected officials. This would, would have been the the, the, the the template 
and we could look everywhere else and see where the template was operating. Well, it turns out <clears throat> that my friend died in quotation marks uh, before he could get the, he got the, the commitment from Denise Majette to tell the truth. And now nobody can find Denise Majette and my friend just died mysteriously. And that's the kind of thing that happens. We, when we do find an independent voice, we have to do everything we can to protect that voice. Uh, Doctor, uh, well, you know, before I ask Richard, uh, go go, go ahead because I want to uh, to kind of ask some political questions. But uh, go ahead, Richard. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Let me let me, what I'll do. I'll let me go to this call here, in New York, New York City. Good evening, um, Richard. Um, Elliot and Dr. McKinney. Um, in regards to this situation in Israel and Palestine, um, there will never be a two-state solution. It, it, it It's a fallacy. It's a game. And it's unfortunate that no one will ever tell the truth about it. it, it, it it's just not feasible or possible to have a two-state solution. I mean, you, all you have to do is look at the, the treatment that the Palestinian people suffer when there's not even a war going on. Um, unfortunately, the CBC is trash. I mean, the majority of the members are trash. Um, I think there's something like maybe up to 60 members and to prove to you how they're basically trash and of no value and strictly about fattening their own pockets, just like the white folks do in Congress. You have eight members of the Congress who control the whole thing. I mean, eight members basically dictates how it goes. And you can't even get these Negroes to come together to do anything for the interests of black people. But you praise a dog. Yes, I said he's a dog. Like Jim Clyburn and then Hakeem Jeffries, another dog. Matter of fact, all of them are dogs. Because all they do is do the pecking and the begging for white folks, they don't come together and put forward legislation, attack these so-called Republicans and do the things that eight members of Congress do to hold up everything. So the reality is, what do we get in return from these Negroes? We have no communities. I mean, if you're going to be honest about it, we have no neighborhood. What do we have? And I mean, the bottom line is, I just like to know from you because to me, you were probably the last Congress person that ever did anything for black people worth a damn. Um, what is the end game number one with black politicians in this country, and what is the end game with this um, Palestinian Hamas situation, other than maybe genocide on the highest level? Um, that there could be because the simple fact you may know more about this than um, a lot of people in this audience know from what I'm hearing is that this is basically about a new building of 
uh, waterways with between mm-hmm. Israel and Gaza t- to be able to mm-hmm. make trade more easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, in fact, um, <clears throat> I was asked to, uh, to give a presentation of, about a book, uh, something uh, I can't remember, something about uh, humanity, Last Stand for Humanity. And while the thrust of the book was um, about uh, climate change, which, of course, you know, is very loaded and uh, not very scientific of uh, the conclusions that uh, we've been that have been forced down our throats. Um, but I did this uh, presentation about climate change, and in one of the slides, I uh, used a ad that the is- Israeli real estate development, the Real Estate Developers Association had put out, or or maybe it was one or two real estate developers had put out where they showed a resort. Gaza turned into a resort of beachfront condominiums and um, uh, like a play area. That's the plan for Gaza, and you're right that um, the idea was to take the resources that are being stolen from Lebanon and Jordan uh, and the surrounding areas, they're being stolen by Israel, and uh, then transport, use it as an oil transport, because now you've got the Hindu nationalist uh, political party in India is allied very closely with the Zionists. And uh, I believe that's why you're seeing so uh, many um, uh, Indians or, or, or Americans or British of Indian uh, heritage in high places in um, multinational corporations, either here in the United States or in the UK government or whatever. You're seeing that now because of this marriage that has taken place and you've even got some of the uh, Indian Hindu nationalists from the BJP party, Modi's party, that also supported Tulsi Gabbard, by the way, um, that um, are now going into Israel to, to, to fight for Israel against the Palestinians. You know, so the state of politics and Various states that we knew, like India, was on the front line of the non-aligned movement. India was present front and center at the Bandung Conference that we talked about earlier. Um, And the nature and character of India as a secular state that embraced both its Muslim population as well as its Hindu, Buddhist and uh, other uh, Christian populations now is is changing. It's changing. And um, so one of the things that I've noticed that is that when politics change or politicians change, we, the people, rarely detect the change. 
So there might have been a time when Gregory Meeks wasn't such an Uncle Tom, you know, a a sellout. There might have been such a time. But the moment that uh, Gregory Meeks became the sellout that he is now, we have to do something about it. Yes. Yes. We can't. and, And now imagine what the difference would be. He is the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Imagine if I had been able to be the chairwoman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Imagine, or even if it weren't me, if it were Earl Hilliard who had a plan. Imagine, but it's clear that if we have 55 or 60 members of the Congressional Black Caucus, they're working for themselves and their families because if I go into a black community in Atlanta... It pretty darn looks the same as a black community in Philadelphia, <clears throat> black community in New York. I mean, I can always tell when I'm on my side of town. Why is that? Yeah, but you know, Dr. McKinney, you know what's yeah, the sad call thing me is? Cynthia, that's my name. Well, 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 well <laughs> Sister Cynthia, you know, the sad thing in all of this is that we haven't figured out how to do one thing. Put forward the narrative that we want black people to understand and use to move forward. We allow people like Meeks and Jeffries <laughs> to serve the interests of white folks Yes. under the auspice that they doing something to help black folks. And if you really want to be honest about it, and I, I'm a person that have a little bit of money, we as a people are no better off than we was 20 years ago. Cynthia. Yes. We're yes. not better off. They have okay. those who as individuals have made money, have a little bit of wealth. But collectively, we as a people do not understand one fundamentally thing. And this is the thing that annoys me to no bitter end. Other ethnic groups are coming into this country and surpassing us to the point to where as White folks honestly have no use for black people in this country because they could go to any other ethnic group and use their talent at a cheaper cost than using black people who built the country. We have no institutions That's that right. could protect us. And white <laughs> folks say, we not giving your black ass no more jobs. I think, to be honest with you, there's probably one company that's black-owned in this country that is has the ability to employ black people on a major scale. And the sad thing is you have to be skilled to be a part of that company because it's a technology mm-hmm. company. So yeah. we in big trouble and we don't even realize it, but we want to, and I have to disagree with you on this sister. 
mm-hmm. be in coalitions with people who don't give a damn about us. No ethnic group in this country cares about black people and want to get together with black people and work with black people if they're not going to use us. And then when it's all said and done, kick us to the side. All you have to do is look at the civil rights movement. And now, to make it even more beautiful and sweet, they're about to get rid of everything in regards to civil rights that black people don't benefit in this country. But we, so we, we want to support them. Okay, so now who are you talking about? Who are you talking about when you say the civil rights movement? Because I agree with you that the civil rights movement was diverted. But who diverted the civil rights movement? Well, it's a combination of black people's inability to really take care of the advantages that we could have because of our love of white folks. And then it was also the white woman using it for employment and business. (laughs) Then it was other groups that were able to use it with the assistance of the United States to build their community. So it's been a total trick bag that as far as I'm concerned, only a few, the muckety-muck Negroes, the so-called, you know, middle-class Negroes that are now in the situation that they better hope they don't lose their pensions, those are the ones that I'm talking about that thought they benefited, but in reality, their children ain't even got no future. Okay. That's the sad thing is, their children ain't got no future. You know why? Because their children are growing up in the era where most of them are fools. They're not getting the proper education. And I'll leave you with this. This is what I want to really leave you with, and I know you'll pick it up. What about your divine nine? What about your fraternity and sororities who are supposed to have the most intelligent, skilled Negroes. Yeah. What are those Negroes doing? What are they really doing? What institutions are they building? Why haven't those that are out of work not come together collectively and gone back to the motherland and helped build up a country? Why haven't they built businesses in this country to make it so that they could take care of really their kids, create institutions, and things of that nature? No, because all they want to do is sing and dance and be around white folks. And in the end, they're going to suffer too. They're going to suffer too. Now think about it. Those are the Negroes that have the greatest skills in this country, supposedly of black folks, because they are a.k.a. college educated. Thanks for your contribution. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Well, actually, <clears throat> I'm saying that we should make a strategic alliance, a coalition with other groups that are fighting the same enemy. And um, <clears throat> if you look at what, let's just focus on Ukraine for a minute. So basically, what is being portrayed by Ukraine um, and the media 
about uh, Ukraine is that you've got uh, a pro-Russian government that got kicked out. You now have an anti-Russian government that is in their pro-U.S. government that is in there. And Russia is now fighting because the Russia wants to control Ukraine. That's the, the line that we're being fed. But the reality is way more complex than that. So the reality is that, yes, you did have <clears throat> a, a government that was trying to be friendly to both Russia and China and uh, uh, Russia and uh, the U.S., the West. But yes, the uh, government was uh, friendly toward uh, Russia. That government was populated by leadership that looked like, felt like, shared the values like the majority of the Ukrainian population, meaning that their outlook was devoutly Orthodox Christian. The uh, Russians are also Orthodox Christians. And so now when the United States did the regime change in 2014, what did they do? They put Ashkenazi Jews in charge of Ukraine. So now you've got a Jewish leadership that sits on top of a Orthodox Christian population. Let's just examine this tactic. Now, what do you have going on in Russia? Well, Russia is an Orthodox Christian, devoutly Orthodox Christian country, now country. But Russia just also happens to be the largest uh, country by landmass in the world. So not only do you have Europeans that are Russian nationals, but you also have Asians that are Russian nationals. You have Muslims that are Russian nationalists, nationals. So Russia is a multinational state, a state of many nations, as most states are, states of many nations. Now, in Ukraine, you've got the president of Ukraine declaring that Ukraine is big Israel. And you've got Russians united fighting big Israel. Now, who's fighting big Israel in Ukraine? The Russians, who are the Asiatics, as well as the Muslims, who are the Chechens. So you've got the coalition of Islam and Orthodox Christianity against Ashkenazim, the Ashkenazim. That is also a level of analysis that is worth 
contemplating on that is worth pondering because what exactly are we looking at here and maybe seeing through the clouds maybe we can see something else so we go to the civil rights movement I was looking for this video I wanted to post the link to on on the chat area because everybody needs to see it and the it's uh, how it comes, the information comes from the black, the, what's that, the black, black relationship with secret, secret relationship between blacks and Jews. Mm-hmm. Information comes from that. And the video is done by a brilliant young black man who just crystallized out of this whole subject matter, the African-American civil rights movement. Well, first of all, freedom from slavery, looking at certain personalities, and then moving toward the civil rights movement. And one very, very telling, telling photograph that he pulls out is the foundation of the Niagara movement. The foundation of the Niagara movement has a few black people in the front and a whole lot of Jewish people in the back. (laughs) So now is the black movement black or is it Jewish? And when you talk about black media, is the black media black or is it Jewish? (laughs) I mean, we need to understand our opponent. If you read the book, by uh, Melissa Faye Griffin uh, on the Temple Bombing. The name of the book is The Temple Bombing. You will see, just as our caller was talking about people using black people for their own agenda, well, Melissa Faye Green talks about how the Jewish, the, the Southern, Southern Jews were as in support of apartheid as were um Southern white folk. They were part and parcel of the fabric of the South and oppression of black people. If you just say it's white people, then maybe you're missing an important facet. If you just say it's Russians, then you're missing an important facet. You have to drill deeper into this. If you just say it's Ukrainians, you're missing a whole a different way of experiencing the Ukraine-Russia conflict or uh, any other conflict. You've got to dig deeper to understand exactly who you are and why you are what you are and those who oppose you being what you want to be. you got to know who those are. Uh, also, our caller mentioned the uh, two-state solution. I agree with the caller because now I say that there that let let there be a one-state solution. Let everyone be treated equally because the Israelis have made it impossible to create a two-state solution. That's mm-hmm. just talk. That's hot air. That's yes. not a reality. Because it'll never be because they're taking over all of the land. Now they planted the Israeli flag in Gaza. 
There will be no Palestine. So let there be one state. And what about those hateful settlers? Well, most of them are U.S. citizens anyway. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Dr. McKinney, before before we start uh, coming down the home stretch, in fact, let's do this. Uh, Richard, um, I think I might have lost it. Richard, yeah, uh, we still got a few minutes. You, you good? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Let, I'm gonna take a brief break, and when we come back, uh, Dr. McKinney, I got a question for you in relation to the strategy of black political movement. I, I want to get your <coughs> your views on this. Okay. When we we're going, uh, we'll take a brief break, and when we come back, in fact, we still got some time. So, if somebody wanted to have a question or comment, you can do that by dialing two one five. Four nine zero nine eight three two. It's two one five four nine zero ninety eight thirty two. Time for an. But now you, I, I, let me just uh, warn you that I, I'm on a jet lag here. <laughs> oh, <good laughs> and uh, and uh, so I will uh, probably be up all night, but I don't want to be on the. Oh no, no, I, I know, I know. All night. <laughs> because I was sleeping, and which was why I was late. <laughs> give me, uh, <laughs> Joining you because I was still sleeping. (laughs) Give me 10 minutes. Okay, very good. (laughs) You are listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. On Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowner's insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customer, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. 
Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. Just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For 12 years, I and others like me had held out radiant promises of progress. I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set. The desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And, uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, uh, if our people could uh, be uh, wrecked, if they could, if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind. not wondering at all about them. I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over a hundred billion dollars in reparations and gets four billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over two hundred million dollars and they get two twenty-one million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them.
you. And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you called me a nationalist because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. But I said that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America, we know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House, you can even put him in his, he'll still be a Tom. You can put them anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us as strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. Let me just say this before our time winds up. And that is, I want the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kente. That scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who's the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente has just run away and been caught. And um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes, and study the scene, study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip, and you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself, who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby. And there's a, there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. 
This, this is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that. Back to time for an awakening. We're coming down the home stretch with our guest this evening in conversation, activist, author, and former Congresswoman Dr. Cynthia McKinney. Uh, you can get in for the couple of minutes we have left. You can squeeze yourself in by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Dr. McKinney? I'm yes, I'm here. <laughs> okay. Listen, <clears throat> um, in the few minutes we have left, I'm going to take a page out of what you just said in that clip that I put on the collage mm. about let's do something about that. Now, we've on this program here, we've had several activists from different areas of the country, uh, Mississippi, and especially down in the Black Belt, uh, Mississippi in particular with uh, Brother Patrick Lumumba and, 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 and uh, Brother uh, 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 Dove Sack and, and, and several of the activists down there, uh, uh, Brother Namdi and Brother Brandon with the party that they have in Maryland, uh, Brother Khalid Rahim in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh in particular, uh, Charles Barron and what he's doing in New York. It's plenty of individual black parties and movements that have sprang up in the different areas to take control of the politics in their local communities not focusing in necessarily on, on uh, mass elections, but taking mm-hmm. control of their local politics. As a former politician and as a person that teaches government, what do you think about that strategy among uh, several of the uh, activists now? Oh, I, I absolutely agree with that uh, strategy. And uh, I think that is where we should have been for a long, long time. And I'm glad that we are there now. So if we can get strong bases in individual um, areas, then we can vote with our feet. We can go there. Uh, We can support strong politicians there. Okay. We won't be able to get strong politics until we get strong politicians who can be protected by strong communities. <laughs> uh, wow, Richard. I agree 10,000%. And, <laughs> Go ahead. And, and I'll just say, you know, Dr. McKinney, I'm glad that you're teaching um, leadership development because as y'all, as we've been saying, you know, through the course of the questions and, the, you know, everybody – one thing that comes to mind is, and you you say it in the sense of knowing who you are, who we are, um, the question of our worldview. Um, yeah. I don't know if you would agree. It's important for not just the populace to be clear of their worldview, but in selecting the leader 
to be clear of their worldview. Um, and that right now, as we organize, is important, you know, besides getting to the organizing model of what is our worldview based off of what's going on. So That's right. That's right. And and the also the important thing is that we've got to create a new model for leadership. Because what uh, this current generation has seen, they don't know about Black Hawks. They've not seen Black Hawks in action. Mm -hmm. And we don't celebrate Black Hawks. I went into a school not too long ago, and they had a picture of Condoleezza Rice up there for Black History Month. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about here? I mean, who are we going to celebrate? And I know we're in our last uh, 30 seconds, but <laughs> uh, I would just in my last minute, I would like to draw attention to what the area I put in the, the, the chat area. There's a link there to a hightail.com a series of videos that have been produced by I.L. Kamathi. He's a listener to your show. And um, there's one video in particular about the secret relationship between blacks and Jews in the civil rights movement, I think is what they call it. Please take a look at that. And you can see how the same people who have their feet on our necks are the same in the U.S. are the same people who are doing it. They're doing it to other populations around the country, around the world. And we should be in some kind of coalition, uh, even if it's just uh, emotional support with them so that uh, we can support ourselves. Because in the end, I understand that we're fighting alone, but in the end, uh, they, they, we will have, as Amilcar Cabral says, we will have allies that we don't even know about as long as we are fighting. Dr. McKinney, before you leave, give uh, the listening audience any way uh, if they get uh, to get the books, to follow you on social media, any, anything that you want to give, the floor is yours. I'm on Patreon. I'm on X, formerly Twitter. I'm on True Social. I'm on Gab. I'm on Minds. You see how they've balkanized even the resistance communities, uh, uh, they balkanize the population. That's divide and rule. And when we come back, when I come back next time, I want to do a whole thing on Paolo Freire's mechanisms of oppression and tools for liberation. You cannot fight this fight alone. We can't. We can fight it alone, but we won't win. Well, Dr. McKinney, the door is open for you when you get back. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Talk to you Good soon. night. All right. All right then. Yeah, take care now. Okay. Richard. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's always interesting conversation with Dr. McKinney comes through. And yes. uh, looking forward to her coming back. Uh, you know, listen, uh, before we, <laughs> I, I'm just, I, well, well, we'll get a chance to reflect on some of the things in, in the upcoming programs. Uh, before we go tonight, just want to give the lineup on time for an Awakening Media Mondays. Wednesdays and Fridays, African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting topics and dialogue on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on in the week, Mississippi on the move, the Black Liberation Movement down in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Lumumba and other co-hosts from 7 to 9 on Thursdays. And Fridays, time for an awakening is back. 
from 8 until on Saturdays, the elders of St. Kofa with Dr. Janine James from 7 to 9. And then Time for the Waking is back on Sundays from 7 until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening and being a part of the discussion. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school
Children. 